The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Well, I've really enjoyed this series on grace. It's been really one of my favorite series because it's such an amazing, life-changing concept, the grace of God. I think nothing will give you greater joy in your life than understanding, walking in the grace of God. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not just information. Grace is life transforming. It changes how you think and how you act and how you relate to people, changes your relationships, changes your whole outlook on life. And so today is so critical and so important because this is the final talk on this whole series. And this is where we bring it all together and wrap it up in a package that helps you live grace. Now, the Bible teaches that um, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you hear that and you think, well, God, I would love to have that. I really like the sound of that. I'd like to have that kind of a life. Then today is for you. Last week, I told a story about Jesus who, who said the kingdom of God is like, and then he told a story. So he qualified the story by saying, I'm about to tell you how the kingdom works. This is how God's kingdom works. Here's the story. So the story was about a guy who had a company and he needed to hire some workers. And so he went out into the marketplace and he hired some workers. He said, come and work for me and I'll give you an honest day's wage. So they came to work for him. And then he went out at 10 o'clock in the morning and saw some more people standing around, didn't have a job. So, hey, would you like to work for me? And I'll pay you an honest wage. And so they, sure, and they joined him. He did the same thing at noon and at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. Finally, one hour before quitting time, he goes out in the marketplace, still finds people sitting around looking for a job. He says, hey, come and work for me and I'll pay you an honest day's wage. So at the end of the day, They're going to gather all the workers together and pay them. And so they pay these guys who only worked one hour, one hour, a full day's wage. So naturally, the people who came at the very beginning of the day and worked a full eight hours were thinking, wow, we're really going to get a lot of money. But they got the same amount. And of course, naturally, they were ticked off. How is that fair? How is that fair? equal pay. And so Jesus said, this is how the kingdom works. Now, if this was going on today, then Jesus would be facing a lawsuit by the ACLU or a union like the WEA. How dare you pay people so unequally? I mean, you can't do that. That's not fair. If you pay one group of people one amount of money, you cannot give these other people the same amount when they do half as much work. You think that would fly at Boeing? You think that uh, an employer would be able to get away with that? I mean, what would that do to a company morale? I mean, wouldn't that discourage people to try hard and work hard and move up in the company if they can do one hour's work and still get paid all day long? You know there's only one company in the whole world who can pay people for doing nothing? Nothing? That's the federal government. <laughs> no one else can do that. If you do that, you go broke. 
You will ruin your company. There isn't a single business plan in the world that would adopt this strategy of making money. And yet, Jesus said, this is the kingdom. The bottom line here is that Jesus' math does not add up. John tells us a story about a woman. Jesus was having lunch at somebody's house, and this woman came in, and she brought with her very expensive perfume. In fact, John says that the perfume was worth a year's wages. Now, a year's wages in Pierce County, they tell us, is somewhere around $42,000. So she brought in this perfume worth $42,000, and she dumped the whole thing on Jesus. And of course, naturally, the people there objected to this and said, come on now, I can see maybe a drop or two, you know, here or there or a squirt, but the whole thing, what a waste of money, right? All you practical people agree with me, right? I mean, go out and buy a new car or I guess in his, go out and buy a new chariot or buy a new horse, or buy a whole fleet of horses for $42,000, but don't waste it like that. I mean, at the very least, give it to charity. Do something good. Does God condone wastefulness? Because Jesus said, hey, don't get on this woman for doing this this with this perfume for dumping the whole 42,000 on me. I mean, think about it. If you had a bottle of champagne that was worth $42,000, first of all, I'd sell it right away. But I mean, if you didn't and you were keeping it and one day, it's just an average day on a Wednesday, you're sitting in your backyard and you're having hot dogs and mac and cheese and you break out the $42,000 bottle of champagne. What a waste. What a waste. Jesus' math on this does not add up. Jesus told another story about a guy who was a shepherd and he had his own business. He had a hundred sheep doing pretty well. And uh, one day, one of the sheep got away. And so he left all 99 and chased after the one. Now, think about that. Does it make any sense to go and find that one lost sheep only to come back and find that 23 others are gone now? Because nobody was watching them? I mean, no, no smart entrepreneur would tell you to cure your losses by incurring more risk. It's not smart. It doesn't make any sense. The math doesn't add up. We see another story in the Gospels in Mark where Jesus is at the synagogue with his disciples and he's obviously sitting in an area where he can see what people are giving. And so a bunch of people are coming up to the whatever it was and throwing tons of money in there. Big sums. I mean, you know, thousand dollars here and there. Big giving. You know what a pastor would call that. That's a really good day. (laughs) And then some little old lady comes up and she throws in two copper coins, not even worth a penny. And Jesus sees that. He says to his disciples, this woman who gave the two coins just gave more 
than those people who threw in tons of money. Are you kidding me? Are you telling us that two cents is worth more than a thousand dollars in God's kingdom? Because if that's true, we don't want to let the congregation know. (laughs) I mean, don't let that kind of information get out. That you can get by with just a two cent offering. I mean, we're trying to do some ministry here. We got a building to take care of and bills to pay. We don't want people to know that. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus' math does not add up. Unless, unless these stories are about something else. You know, as you look at the Old Testament, you see other things that don't add up. For example, why does God favor troublemaker Jacob over faithful Esau? Why does God anoint with great power this sexual deviant Samson? Why does God favor this shepherd boy who's ready and the smallest of his clan over powerful and tall and handsome Saul? Why does God give incredible wealth and wisdom to Solomon, who was obviously messed up in his thinking and all of these wives and concubines, See, these things don't just add up unless there's something actually very scandalous going on here with these stories. Something that is other earth, that is other human. Maybe something that is not even on this planet. See, these stories are more than just the people in them and what's happening to them. These stories are a glimpse of the kingdom of God. These stories are the world through the eyes of God. So this is how God sees the world. It's his perspective of how he sees things. He's showing us himself, what he likes, what he dislikes, what he values, what is important to God. So if these stories are what is important to God, then shouldn't we take note of them and see how they apply to our lives and that they might be important to us? These stories are not about sheep, how many sheep. It's not about money and how much is wasted. It's not about how much money is earned or not earned. All these stories are about one thing. Counting. All of them. They're about counting. Say it loudly with me, that word, counting. Say it. Try try again, that was poor. Very good. Now, get this. This is important. These stories are not about 
the fact that God counts something one way and we count it another way. That's not it. Like the two coins. Well, maybe the two coins to God means more because she gave out of her lack than out of her need than out of her wealth. She gave more in that sense. No, no, that's not the point at all. The point is that man counts and God does not. Man counts everything. We are adding machines. I mean, we walk around with a moral calculator in our pocket, adding up all kinds of things. We are made for counting. I mean, it's in our souls from day one. We are counting machines. We count everything. We count the good and we count the bad. We count uh, what is beautiful, what is ugly. We count score. We count money. And we love to ask how much something is worth. You ever been to a really nice house that somebody, you know, you really know them that well, but you're just curious and you want to know how much their house is worth? Or you know somebody and you, you're curious about how much money they make? Or they buy a new car and the first thing you think to yourself is, I wonder how much they paid. How much is it worth? We love to tell people how much things cost and how much they're worth. And if you have a really good deal on something, you can't wait to tell somebody how much you paid for it. See this beautiful painting? I paid 20 cents at a garage sale. You know, you never say, this is my beautiful painting. You tell us how much you paid for it. And if you paid a lot for something, you love to say how much you paid for it. You will not believe what I paid for my son's college tuition. I paid a fortune. We count compliments in a day's worth, and we count complaints. We count time. We count our relationships. How many Facebook friends do you have? We count people. We count places. We are wired for counting. But God does not count. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't know. God knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows how many stars are in the sky. God knows, but God does not count. But we count everything. God does not count your failures. He doesn't count your losses. He doesn't count your sins. He doesn't count all the times that you betrayed Him. He doesn't count all the time that you waste. He doesn't count how many minutes of a day you pray. He doesn't count how much money you give to the church. He doesn't count how many Bible verses you've memorized. He doesn't count all of your lies. He doesn't count all the times you look lustfully at a woman. He doesn't count all of your broken promises. He doesn't count all of the money that you've stolen. He doesn't count. 
When it comes to counting, God doesn't play. Huge, huge crowd of people gathered around Jesus and they found this woman who was caught in adultery and they had counted her sins against her and they said to Jesus, count this woman's sins with us. He refused. Instead, looked down at the ground, draw, probably drew a little equation and said to the woman, go your way, sin no more. The crowd was massing around Jesus. He was walking along and here was this businessman who was a lie and a cheat and was constantly heaping burdens on people and making them pay more than they owed. Extortion. Crooked man. And the crowd knew who he was and instantly counted all of his sins against him. But Jesus, seeing the man, had pity on him and said, Zacchaeus, today I would like to go to your house for tea. The new meth of grace is this. God does not count. You know, this is so hard for us to live by. It's so hard for us to grasp and apply to our lives because we're so hardwired for counting. I mean, we are born with it. We are taught from birth that if you want to be a success in life, you had better become good at counting. No pain, no gain. The early bird gets the worm. You get what you pay for. There's no free lunch. Our souls are trained by counting. It's the only way we survive. When we get some good news in the mail, it makes us feel good because the counting has gone our way. When we get bad news in the mail, it makes us feel bad because the counting has gone against us. I think the one person who understood this was the Apostle Paul. Do you know in every single one of Paul's letters, every single word, the word grace appears no later than the second sentence. Here is Paul. He was he hunting down Christians and persecuting them and throwing them in prison and some even killing, charging them with blasphemy and killing them. Jesus was not the first. But Paul's sins were not counted against him. When Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus did not count Paul's sins against him. His crimes were not counted by Jesus. And it caused Paul to write the words, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. You know, in heaven, there's a book, a ledger book. And in that book is only written one thing. Only one thing is counted. And that is a name. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you place your faith in Him, and He's your Savior, then your name is written in the book and nothing else. Not your sins, 
Not even your accomplishments. You know, Isaiah said that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Good thing those aren't counted either. Just your name. Because God isn't counting. The only cure for living a life of ungrace is to stop counting. That's the only cure. If you want to walk in true freedom and joy and wake up every morning with a positive outlook on life, about yourself, about your family, about your relationships, is to stop all the counting. Stop counting your own and stop counting everybody's around you. It's difficult to do. I mean, you'll spend a lot of time working on this. I mean, pastors are brilliant counters. That's what we do really good. When I walked in here this morning, I counted how many people were here and how many weren't. (laughs) When we get together, us pastors in our pastors' meetings, we're sharing all of our numbers. Oh, how many did you have? Oh, how much was in your offering? Oh, 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 what are your accomplishments? Measuring them all and comparing. We love to count. But God doesn't count. Only then will you be free to live in grace when you stop counting. Only then will you be spiritually mature when you stop counting. Now some would say, well, you're giving a license to sin. I mean, if we don't count Things could go wild and people would start doing all kinds of sins because nobody's counting. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. The grace of God is not a license to sin. But we still don't count. In the book of legalism, you could say a... a uh, It's a paper written to refute legalism is the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, Paul says, chapter 6, verse 1, when you catch somebody in a sin, when you count their sins and you find it against them, this is what you should do. Beat them to death. Rebuke them harshly. Let them have it. Correct them. Hammer them. Condemn them. He doesn't say any of that. Because he is an encounter. He says, okay, so you you, you caught one. This is what you should do. Restore them gently. I tell you folks, that is impossible. When you're counting, you cannot do it. You cannot do it. And when you are in Christ and you stand before Jesus one day, he will not count your sin against you. So if you are here today and you count your own, you're good at it like me. In fact, you could probably sit down and go all the way back to when you were four years old and you stole the cookies. 
And you can recount all of that. You're good at recounting that and rehearsing it in your head. Then you need to be set free by grace this morning. And you need to know that you walk before God without any record. No counting. I'll tell you, you know what that does for me? It puts a smile on my face. It gives me a sense of gratitude, and I want to praise God and thank Him that He hasn't counted all this up. And it makes me want to not count it either. I mean, if God's not going to count it, then why are you? There's a great story about Babe Ruth, true story. It was up to bat. Fourth, two, two strikes and three balls. And uh, the umpire calls the last pitch a strike. And the whole crowd is stomping their feet, you know, in anger. And, you know, that wasn't a strike. You know, they wanted to see Babe hit a home run. And so Babe says to the pitcher, and he says, you, or the, the umpire says, you potato head. Can't you see that 42,000 people saw that that was a ball? And the umpire looked at Babe Ruth and he said, yeah, but mine's the only opinion that counts. God's opinion is the only one that counts as it pertains to you. Nobody else, just him. He's not counting. That is the kingdom of God. And that is how grace works.